This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Our top story, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, has been fully revealed, with the full card and image gallery available on the official Magic website. That's right, and amidst a lot of exciting cards and evocative storytelling, there was a notedly questionable set of additions to The List. And what's The List again? Special cards that appear in set boosters about 25% of the time, which have their own rarity scale for how often a given card falls into one of those slots. And they aren't necessarily standard legal, even though they're appearing in boosters for standard sets. So it's like if Quandrix decided to start writing rules in Phyrexian. Yes, because that is the only applicable metaphor we could use. A handful of cards specific to the Commander format were put on the list, and it seems we're continuing the theme of things appearing in the wrong products, because these cards aren't going to be in the Commander decks for the set. When the cards were first revealed complete with Commander set logo, reaction to them was pretty positive. However, when players kept reading about these cards and got to the limited availability, their responses changed drastically. Limited availability has long been an object of irritation at best for players. From the reserved list to the difficulty of finding key cards like Smothering Tithe, and most recently the difficulty of purchasing sealed sets like Double Masters and Jumpstart, this has been an ever-growing complaint in the community. To many players, this felt like Wizards was blatantly making something hard to find in a badly misguided effort to sell booster packs. Because that would be so unusual for Wizards. Exactly. In a climate in which it already feels like Wizards is heavily ignoring its players' preferences, many people felt this as a slap in the face. It's especially surprising when considering that the rest of the aspects of this set have most people excited for its release. Creators who have never been shy when critiquing magic sets, such as the Professor of Telerian Community College, have gone on public record as saying this set is exactly what they want from the game. Before previews were even fully revealed, many of these creators were expressing their excitement, and these commander cards on the list made the product a little bittersweet. Despite that, excitement for the set is running high across the magic community, so let's go over to Diz to hear a quick summary of the set mechanics and themes. Diz? Thank you, Kit. This set brings us back to Innistrad for a third visit and carries some of the same themes that made it great the first time. Transform and Flashback have both returned, and there's even a new version of the Transform mechanic, Daybound and Nightbound. This variant primarily focuses on the werewolf creature type, with Daybound triggering if a player casts no spells during their turn, and Nightbound acting if a player casts two or more spells on their turn. Diz, this sounds much like the original version of the werewolf transform ability. Will older cards be errated to match this? 
Excellent question. According to the design team at Wizards, there are no current plans to errata the older werewolves, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. Flashback and Curses also make their returns, but this set isn't just a tribute to past Innistrad sets. It's a leap forward in game mechanics. New zombie tokens come in with a decayed ability, which makes them unable to block and exiles them on the end step after an attack, but it allowed the design team to make more token cards at lower costs. Innistrad sets typically allow more than one type of graveyard payoff. Is this set any different? Not at all. The new Disturb mechanic is functionally a combination of Flashback and Transform, allowing players to cast creatures from their graveyard for an alternate cost, and has the Transform site enter the battlefield. That creature is then exiled if it would go to a graveyard. Another thing that Innistrad sets usually bring us is support for creature-based strategies. Did this set manage to deliver? As a matter of fact, it did. The new Coven mechanic triggers when players control creatures with three or more different powers. These effects can vary wildly from providing card advantage to anthem effects and even enabling transform abilities. Despite these new mechanics, there are still some juicy reprints. The most notable are Pything Needle, which has never been seen in an Innistrad set before now and one of the most played commons in the game's history, Delver of Secrets. With all this happening, it's going to be an exciting fall once the standard format rotates with this set's release. Jank. Thanks, Diz. Two episodes ago, we reported on a story of a new stream team founded by MTG Nerd Girl. She spoke with us about that team, its motivations, and its challenges. Uh, I'm here with MTG Nerd Girl. Nerd Girl, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. Um, if you don't mind, if you could give uh, our listeners a brief intro of who you are and what you do with the Magic community. Awesome. Yeah, so um, I am a full-time content creator. I started streaming, oh goodness, now four or five years ago, uh, full-time on Twitch. I also do YouTube, and I recently started a stream org for a bunch of streamers. Okay. Um Recently, you have been pretty common in the uh, Magic headlines, so to speak, with your recent addition to the Magic Mike's cast crew and the stream team that you just mentioned. Um, let's talk about the Magic Mike's edition first. If you could just, uh, if you could just tell us really quickly, how has being a host of that podcast affected your relationship with the game and the community? Um, I don't honestly think it's done too much. I mean, I've worked with Evan before. I've known Ruben a long time. So that's pr a pretty smooth transition. And uh, community-wise, I mean, the Magic Mike's um, viewer base or community is really, you know, not that much different from my own. And, um, you know, the news stuff on Twitter, as a creator, I always follow that and participate in it. So for the most part, it's been a pretty smooth transition and kind of business as usual. Okay, makes sense. Um, you said that, uh, but even before your time with the podcast, you were paying pretty close attention to the Magic News just because of your relationship. Has being on the podcast uh, changed how you're able or how you have to react to that kind of news? Uh, no, not particularly. It's just kind of, you know, giving an opinion. Um, maybe that means I'm not quite taking it as seriously as I should, but <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, kind of going over the news. It's a place for people to 
come in, especially if they're, you know, not on Twitter or um, really focusing on all the Wizards announcements. We just kind of put it all into one little place for people, which is really nice. Okay. All right. And uh, shifting into the most recent reason that you've been making uh, headlines, you are either the founder or a co-founder of uh, Degenerate Gaming. Uh, and you all went public on August 20th, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. So we actually kind of, we had the team a little bit before then, but our first official month was starting August 1st. And then I didn't really start posting too much about it until we had some infrastructure and I got everybody onboarded. So August 1st was our first month. Okay. So we're well into your second month. When uh, you as a team went quote unquote public, uh, made the announcement tweet, just letting everyone know that this was what was going on. Part of what you mentioned about why this initiative happened was the organized play situation, such as it is, uh, as as the reasoning behind it. Would you would you mind going into a little bit of detail about what led to that decision? Yeah, so um, with the state of organized play for Magic being kind of a mess and very uncertain as far as its future, it makes it really difficult for content creators because many brands or teams are not interested in getting into Magic. In fact, many of them have been leaving Magic, um, including Tempo Storm, uh, F2K, you know, has been struggling a little bit with a lot of the Magic creators. Um, Envy you know, had some some creators and were picking people up and have since stopped. There's just um, basically kind of a, a, a zero interest in creators in the Magic community because of how organized play is developing or a lack thereof. Right. Um, okay, so when you were getting the team together and we've seen some pretty big names aside from yourself and of course yours is a big one too uh joining the team um what were some of the challenges that went into this whole process i mean you've basically started it from the ground up so what were some of the challenges that you had at the very beginning oh goodness i mean for the most part you know we have a small group of creators 20 um to be exact including myself you know honestly there isn't a whole bunch of difficulties um, from the side of the actual creation. It's been pretty straightforward. I'm working with my friends. I'm also working with sponsors that I've worked with in the past. And as a you know solo creator, I'm very experienced with working with sponsors and making sure that those things um, you know get done well, reaching out, you know, all of that sort of thing. Uh, so I'm just doing it on a little bit of a bigger scale. I would say the only thing that I'm having trouble with is maintaining my own personal streaming um, like requirements and content while also managing this team. But uh, I've doubled my workload, which is less than ideal. But uh, for the most part, it's been pretty smooth. Okay. Um, and you said that you were, that one of the problems, or not problems, one of the challenges you particularly are facing is managing the team and your stream schedule. Um, uh, it for your specific role with the team, is it mostly administrative behind the scenes, or is it about fifty fifty between that and the actual streaming, or more of the streaming? Um, so I'm still streaming full time as a content creator. I get paid just the same from the team as all of my streamers do. 
Um, I am doing all the administrative stuff. I'm reaching out to all of the sponsors, doing ad wheels, uh, making sure that all the creators are meeting all of their deliverables. I'm negotiating personal contracts as well as team contracts or sponsorships for for everybody. And then uh, I invoice all of those uh, sponsors at the end of the month and then divvy that up amongst the creators based on minutes watched and flat rate sponsorships. But I am still doing, you know, full time as normal, my own personal content. You're right. That is a that's a heck of a workload. Um, <laughs> uh, over the last few weeks, you the team has been taking time to introduce uh, yourselves as individuals, um, taking you know a day introduce yourself, introduce uh, any other members. Is there anyone that has yet that has not yet been announced that uh, at least through the Twitter account that you're really excited has joined the team? Um, well, we have some people that are not onboarded, but we are looking to uh, to grow and expand at a rate that we feel like we can support. So we're looking at you know between three to five new members per month. I figure some members will also drop off just based on whether or not they decide to continue streaming or find other deals. Um, the official team roster is public. Um, they all haven't been announced on Twitter yet because I'm just kind of doing that as like a daily thing, but the team roster is the same as far as new members that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to pick up for October. Uh, you'll just have to, to wait for the announcement like everybody else, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, part of, Going back to the announcement tweet that I mentioned earlier, uh, part of the comment was also that you were you as a group were sort of stepping away from Magic. What are some of the other games that you all have gotten into or are particularly enjoying streaming lately? Um, so the the comment wasn't necessarily that I was stepping away from Magic. I am still a full time Magic content creator that does some variety on my extra time. That remains true. Um, the comment was more about, I believe, teams stepping away from Magic and sponsors as well. So it puts the creator in a difficult spot where we are losing a lot of resources that we had previously for streaming in the category that we do. So developing this team ourselves just kind of gives us, you know, that outlet. We have a little bit more control over it. And um, we're not going to just decide to, you know, stop supporting Magic creators because that's who we are. And uh, and we find sponsors and work with other creators accordingly. Okay, uh, my my apologies for misunderstanding that note. Um, That's okay. But uh, are there other games that you all are looking to get into or have decided to get into as a team, or is it still primarily a Magic team? Um, so we are a stream team, not necessarily an esports org. So you know, each creator is free to do whatever they want and produce any type of content. Uh, that they would like, and we still have the overall team sponsors, and then personal sponsors can pick and choose creators that they want to work with based on, um, you know, personality as well as the type of content that they are creating as far as, like, TCG games or or whatever that sponsor feels like is, is marketable to them. So as a team, we're not really looking to make any transitions for, for content purposes. We're looking to do community building. So we're playing some variety games. We're going to start a D&D game on Sundays where um, some of our players can, can opt in and play. Um, magic tournaments that we're doing uh, where the prize is 
giveaways for that particular streamer's community. So it's sort of just, you know, about us getting to play each other for fun, as well as community building for individual communities. So yeah, we're not like saying, oh, let's all move to Runeterra or anything like that. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you all are also looking to recruit some specific people, which of course you're going to keep secret until it's time to announce it if it goes that way. Uh, but also on your Twitter, there there was a recent comment about people applying for the team. Um, could you go into how that process works as far as people applying and potentially getting approved? Um, yeah, so I've got, I'm, I'm a bit behind. I haven't been responding to everybody because I'm, you know, we're onboarding kind of slowly. I told you three to five players per month. So I'm kind of just reaching out to people to schedule uh, little voice calls, um, you know, similar to what we're doing. I find out a little bit about them as far as their goals as a content creator, the type of content. I look a little bit at numbers and things, but not very heavily because that's not something that's super important to, important to us. We have creators of all sizes. Um, all the way down to, you know, one to two concurrent viewers. So it's more about whether or not we think that they will be a good mesh with the team. And, uh, you know, community building is very important to us. So if they want to be uh, involved and interactive, that's great. And we're also looking for creators that can bring something else to the table, because that's sort of what this is about, is we all support each other and and do something different for the team in a way that gives us all more growth and opportunities so for example i'm doing a lot of this back-end stuff i'm negotiating contracts with sponsors which is something that i've always done and uh, excel at but on the flip side of those uh you know we've got a streamer named phoenix who is great with community she's very active in the discord and um, she takes notes at our team meetings and, and emails them to our team members who couldn't make it she's an absolute sweetheart so she's doing some of that also we have boofy who plays war games for a stream content and he's a tech whiz who's doing our website and a bunch of things like that so pretty much you know it's more about whether or not we think you're a good fit and uh if we think that it'll be mutually beneficial to work with them okay makes complete sense uh on the opposite side of it uh as a new and growing team what are some of the best ways that fans or viewers can support you all aside from just the basic come watch our streams yeah, so uh, for people who are looking to support Degenerate Gaming, you guys can follow us on our social medias. We're going to be doing a collective YouTube soon where um, certain members are going to volunteer to produce a weekly or monthly piece of content, um, which kind of gives everybody a little bit more exposure. Um, also, check out the uh, links to our Degenerate page, which just always shows all of our online members. And uh, And lastly, we did start a Patreon, which is just for team funds, which is like websites and um, tournament prizes, which would be public. So things like that. Okay. Um, that just about wraps it up on my end. Uh, where can our listeners find you specifically? Uh, so for me, I stream on YouTube. I'm sorry. I have YouTube videos and stream on Twitch and also on Twitter. It's all MTG Nerd Girl across the board. No spaces. Okay. Um, again, that wraps us up. So thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It certainly sounds like we have a lot to look forward to from the team. Let's go to commercial break. 
And afterward, ISO can tell us about the rivals and MPL Gauntlet Weekend. Here on Innistrad, the need for a party can develop at the drop of a hat, or a body. And there's so much to do. The guest list, the catering, the invitations. It's almost more than a single vampire can handle. <laughs> and certainly more than a mortal can. Why leave anything to chance? Wouldn't you rather sit back, relax, and let a qualified planner handle it? Just call the parlor, and we'll handle it all. Our mistress Angie Falkenrath is the best. She can handle the madness for you, and let you cast all your fears away, all for a nominal cost. Angie's been around for a long time, so you know she has the contacts and connections you need to finish your party right, whether for your harvest tide feast or an upcoming wedding. We have all you need to have the party of the century. The parlor. Events to die for. Welcome back. September 3rd through 5th saw the rivals in MPL Gauntlet weekend with the final entrance for the world championship decided. Iso, how did the weekend go? Well, it started off a bit shaky. The original schedule for the event was for it to be held starting on the 2nd, but just before the event itself, an announcement went out about the delay. This was, not surprisingly, poorly received as many players from across the world had adjusted their sleep and work schedules to accommodate the original schedule. Despite all of that, the weekend still went forward with both events and the final four entrants were named. From the MPL Gauntlet, Rei Sato, Yoshihiko Ikawa, and Jean-Emmanuel Japaz came out on top. Both Rei Sato and Yoshihiko Ikawa were playing Jeskai Mutate, and Jean-Emmanuel Depraz qualified with Demir Rogues. Other decks that made the top 8 with them were what we've seen in the top 8 of previous events, like Soldile Tabatum, Gruel Adventures, and Naya Winota. The Rivals Weekend saw a somewhat different top 8, with Jan Merkel clinching the 16th World Championship spot, playing Isaac Control. We saw more Gruel Adventures in that final match, played by Gavin Thompson, but Demir Rogues and Mono Green Aggro also made appearances. These four players will join 12 others on October 8th to 10th to battle for the crown of world champion and for a $250,000 prize pool. That is, unless there's another organizational change. Kit? Thanks, Iso. Our next story. The quarterly rules update from the Commander RC was released on September 13th. While these updates are usually not very active in regards to bans, this one contained two changes to the format ban list. The first of these changes was a banning of Golos Tireless Pilgrim. For those who keep an eye on the format, this ban didn't come as too much of a surprise. Golos is known for enabling infinite loops and synergies, causing many players who face the deck to either immediately target its pilot or just walk away from the game. Re uh, reactions on the RC Discord and Twitter show people who loved using him as a commander are upset, but most other players are fine with the change to the format. 
A common response to the players who are upset about the ban has been the rest of the base pointing out that they can still use the other 99 cards and pick a different commander for the deck. The second update to the list was a bit more surprising as unbans happen even less frequently than regular bans do for the format. Worldfire is now unbanned and chaos can finally reign as Richard Garfield intended. Okay. What? Chaos? Well, it's a sorcery that exiles all permanents, cards in graveyards, and cards in hand, and sets everyone's life total to one, so chaos. Well, you're right at least about the surprise of this unban. Some comments have expressed concern regarding this, viewing it in the same vein as spells like Armageddon, and others like my co-anchor here seem to be excited. Look, another enabler for a Bearing Glory win can only be a good thing, since that strategy really needs all the help it can get. But regardless, there seems to be little overall negative reaction about this unbanned, so the format looks to see some shakeups pretty soon. In a summer full of conventions making news, one scheduled for Halloween has joined them in causing players some potential concern. Star City Games has announced the return of their famous annual event, SCGCon, to be held from October 28th to 31st. While there is a mask mandate noted in the announcement, players have expressed heavy concern over the fact that there is no testing or vaccine mandate for this event. To give Star City credit, they are taking a lot of steps to make things like food distribution, customer service, and registration as contactless as possible. Players are still not comfortable, though, with many saying that a lack of testing or vaccine mandates are the final straw that will cause them not to attend. These takes have been reasoned, measured calls for changes to this policy, and of course there have also been the cynical, sarcastic ones that we've come to expect from the Magic community at large. Some bigger community names, like Ali, aka Mebo, have expressed that they would love to go to the event, but cannot in good conscience without one of these mandates in effect. Disappointment seems to be the key theme with the convention attempts, doesn't it? That sums it up pretty well. Well, with comments like, After Watts, he killed organized play, SCG is taking it one step further and killing the players themselves, it's really hard not to notice. The description of the event as no tricks, just treats has also caused mockery with tweets like magic players can have a little COVID as a treat doing a good job expressing the views surrounding it. Our final story. This episode, we return to the art world. Atraxa, Praetor's voice, is likely one of the most recognizable commanders to ever have been printed and was digitally printed by... Victor Adam Minguez. He recently did the only traditional version, and it sold at auction for $40,000. Victor included a certificate of authenticity, noting it would be the only copy available in a traditional format. It really makes me reconsider my career and regret not taking up art when I was younger. It's never too late to pick up a new hobby! For me, it is on this one. The opportunity just got sucked into the mana vortex. Just like Xantia? And you're sure you haven't been reading old magic novels again? And risk Urza coming back out of the Mana Vortex? 
Firstly, he's a planeswalker, not a weeping angel. Secondly, the Brothers War is scheduled for next year. Are you absolutely sure he's not a weeping angel? <sighs> Greg Grishkowski is the second artist to make recent waves. He has put three of his works up for sale, starting with his Chaos Dragon from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Bidding opened at $2,500 and finished at a whopping 30000 He then sold two more paintings, one for Sarkin, Wanderer to Shiv, and its partner... And its partner card, not partner mechanic, Scion of Shiv. These two sold for a combined total of almost $13,000. Safe to say that it had to have felt good for him to see his hard work pay off. Quite literally. That's all for this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.